morning, Lifehouse, and happy 4th of July to all of you. I have to first apologize to our guest today because in March of 2020, at the very beginning of the lockdown at the pandemic, I invited Pastor PJ to come and speak at our church. And well, to be honest, there was hardly anyone in the building. As fate would have it, I have now asked him to speak on the 4th of July. One day, PJ, I promise I'll have you come and you'll speak on Easter or Mother's Day, one of those holidays where everybody shows up into the building. I've gotten to know PJ over the past couple of years and uh, to, to be honest, he just always brings a passion for people. He brings a love for Jesus anytime he has the opportunity to speak. He has served as our district next gen director. He's currently a part of our central district team and he pastors a church plant in Austin called The Local. More importantly, PJ and his wife Ashley uh, were able to give uh, their son Phoenix a little baby brother recently named Carlo. And so Lifehouse, will you stand this morning and will you give a warm welcome to Pastor PJ Moon? Come on now, that's that 4th of July crowd. <laughs> you can be seated, you can be seated. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we? Good. I would say, uh, even if you're not good, you're good. Come on, we need some noise in the house. Are you with me this morning? Uh, well, hey, my name is PJ Moon. I am so excited to be here with you today. Uh, this is my home church. Uh, I uh, was living in Seattle for about 15 years, but this is the church I grew up in. Uh, this place has meant the world to me. There are some amazing people that have really impacted and changed my life. So I am indebted to this church and this house. Um, there are some people, uh, I got to meet most of them in the early services, but that uh, have really been part of this church for a really long time. And so I love uh, Lifehouse. Your leaders are amazing. Pastor Ryan, Jay, Paul, all of you for uh, inviting me. I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, do you love your pastors? Love your church? Whoa. <laughs> Fourth of July crowd in here. I know they love you. It's fine. Hey, I want to tell you a little bit about me. Um, I am from Austin, Texas, and this is my family. Uh, I have a wonderful family. This is my wife, Ashley. Uh, this is my son, Phoenix, who is two. He is crazy and wild and giving me gray hairs. And that is my daughter. I know Ryan said son, but I have a daughter named Harlow, uh, and she is adorable and cute. Uh, I also have a fur baby, any fur baby families out there, so uh, this is my fur baby, uh, you can throw that up there, uh, that's my boy Kevin, uh, he's an amazing English bulldog, um, that's about the most activity you'll see him do all day, uh, I actually fed him this morning and I drove here from Austin and I'm sure he'll be in the same chair in the same spot when I get back, so uh, but that's my family. They are amazing. They're actually in Seattle uh, visiting family this week or else they would have been with me, but they are amazing. Uh, as Pastor Ryan said, I pa also pastor a church called The Local. Uh, about two years ago, my wife and I felt called to Austin, and we wanted to plant a church that was a little unconventional. We planted a, uh, a collection of house churches, a movement of house churches called The Local with this idea that the most important th place in people's lives is where we live, learn, work, and play. And so this idea was, what could we do to mobilize people to see that where they live, learn, work, and play, their local is the most important place God has planted them. And so we get all kinds of crazy people in our church, people that are figuring out faith, people who don't know if this all makes sense, uh, but we love having everybody in the room. And we have, it looks a little more like conversation than it does preaching, um, but we serve our community every single month. Uh, we, during the pandemic even, uh, we've given away almost 70% of everything we bring in, we give to our community. Uh, and so it's amazing. I've really been blessed to have an amazing church. 
And, uh, and that's a little bit of what I do. You can check it out if you ever want to see our church. The local, it's called thelocal.church. That's how you find it. Super cool uh, website, easy to remember, thelocal.church. Uh, but I'm excited to share with you um, this message this morning that I'm calling Peace in Chaos. And I realize that you guys have had all kinds of speakers, and the previous speaker talk, talked on peace. And it was a complete coincidence, although he is also my boss. Uh, we did not talk prior to uh, us sharing together, and so it's a total coincidence, maybe even uh, a move of God to speak to you about peace. But I want to talk to you about peace and chaos. Uh, funny enough, I actually had a different sermon planned. And Saturday morning, there's uh, uh, some friends of mine, many of my friends in Austin don't go to church, which is super cool. I think you sh should encourage you to have friends that don't go to church. And I get a knock on the door at 7 a.m. My dog is barking. My whole family's gone, mind you. So I'm like, I I'm delirious. I'm trying to sleep in. And uh, there's a shadow at my door and I open it and my friend's like, do you want to go to breakfast? And I was like, why are you at my house? You know, you dro drove 20 minutes to my house to go to breakfast. So we went to breakfast and, uh, and, and we were just talking about all kinds of things and things that were going on in his life and my life. And, and, and I told him that I was uh, uh, coming to preach at a church on Sunday. And he was like, oh, cool. What are you talking about? And I shared with him that. And then we started having breakfast and we talked about something different. And he stopped me and he goes, I don't know what you were going to preach on Sunday, but you need to preach this. And so I was like, fine, I'll share my story. And so I really felt like it was a prompting of the Lord with somebody who doesn't even go to church who felt like everyone needs to hear this. And so I hope that today's at least like possibly encouraging to you. I hope that it uplifts you, maybe gives you a different perspective. And I pray that if anything else, God today gives us peace. So let me pray and then uh, we'll get started. Jesus, we're just grateful today that we get to come and we get to hear from you, that we get to learn from you, that we get to learn from how you lived your life. And I pray today, no matter where, what uh, stories people have in the room, whether they know God or know you or not, whether they love church or are not really interested in all this, I just pray that you would meet them in the intimacy of their heart and their soul and that you uh, speak to them and show them that you love them and that you're with them. Would you challenge us and help us to change? And we love you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, I want to focus on two key stories today that um, God has been speaking to me personally. So this is a message that I'm living and have lived, not one that I've learned and I'm trying to teach you. It's something that I, I am living through in the moment. Um, but Mark chapter 1, there's two stories that both are probably familiar to you, but I want to give us a different perspective of the way Jesus lived his life that was different. That was maybe a little bit uh, 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 different than how we operate today. But I want to start in Mark chapter 1, and let me set the story real quick. Jesus has entered the scene. He starts calling these people called disciples to follow him, and he starts doing ministry in the city, meaning he was going and healing people, people that were blind, people that were sick, people that needed hope, and he was going and invading all of these people's uh, uh, spaces and bringing healing to cities and, and, and towns, and he was going from town to town. Jesus was starting to get really, really, really busy. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 32, we see this. It says that at evening at sundown, they begin to bring all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Could you imagine if, like, you came to San Antonio and people just started bringing you everyone in the city that was sick? Everyone. I mean, it was wild show here. And he began to heal many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out demons, and he would not even permit the demons to speak because they knew it was him, Jesus. And rising very early, verse 35, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, all this stuff's going on. He departed, and he went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. It's fascinating to me that Jesus, fully God and fully man in this moment, 
like actually has to stop and get away for a moment to a desolate place to connect with his father. There was a routine, there was a rhythm of his life that it was important enough that even the scriptures write it that Jesus goes missing, that Jesus goes to this place where no one can find him, that he needed to recoup, rest, and be in the presence of his father before he could do more work. And I love this next verse, and this is where I'm going to uh, kind of give us some application. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to shoot some application right off the bat. I'm not waiting until the end. We're going to do this right now. Y'all ready? In verse 36, it says, and Simon and those that were with him searched for him. They're literally searching for Jesus, trying to find where he's at. And they say, they finally found him, and they said, everyone is looking for you. Anybody in the room have parents? Or, or parents? Have kids, you ever just finally get like, like 10 minutes of like silence where you're in a dark room with like a diet Sprite and it's like the first time in a year, you know what I mean? And you're just like, oh, I feel so good. And then all of a sudden they knock on the door, mom, mom, dad, dad. And like everyone needs you. We know that feeling, right? You go to work and you're finally clocking off on Friday and then like everyone emails you the last hour of your workday on Friday. And it's like, everyone needs your response. And we live in a world that is urgent where everyone needs us. And Jesus does something interesting here. He tells the disciples, they say, everyone's looking for you. And he says, let's go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that's why I came out. I mean, he just literally abandons the need. I thought this is fascinating because, because I can imagine the disciples going, wait, 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 what do you mean we're going to the next town? There's a bunch of people that have need of you. It's urgent. You're going to disappoint people. And yet Jesus shows a posture of his life that I feel like the people of God need to get better at which is Jesus was not slave to the tyranny of the urgent. He had a priority of how he wanted to live his life, and it was important that he lived his life in priority. I don't know about you, but I could just close this service right now, and let's just pray that we become people of priority, because I don't know about you, I'm slave to the urgent. I got a two-year-old, right, who throws pizza on the wall. Like, everything in my life is urgent. (laughs) And yet, what does it look like to be a people of priority? I think the reason why we deal with so much anxiety in our culture is because we don't stop and just be for a moment. We don't prioritize getting away to a place where nobody can reach you, where you're not fulfilling everybody else's needs. Jesus shows us a posture, a priority versus urgency. The application of this is quite simple, and I'm gonna gonna share how he lives this life of priority in another story in just a moment. But the application of this story is We've got to realize where we are slave to the urgent in our lives and make changes to prioritize the presence of Jesus. If we don't do it, I'm telling you, you will live your life anxious. You will live your life not not sure, like just barely breathing air, and that's not the way God intended you to be. You weren't created to fulfill everybody else's needs. You were created to be in the presence of Jesus. He wants to fill you and give you strength. I, the other application for me is I, 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 I'm guilty of this. I don't like disappointing people. I don't like people to feel, feel like I failed them or I let them down. But at the same time, who are we really letting down if we don't prioritize our time and our space with God? We don't prioritize ourselves and what God wants to speak just to us and no one else. But if we're constantly giving and giving and giving, like what, who, what, who really is hurting here? Us, right? So what does it look like for us to have priority a priority mindset instead of an urgency mindset. Now, again, I'm, what I'm not saying is that we don't respond to urgency. Trust me, when my son the other day threw you know, an entire bowl of mac and cheese on the wall, there's some urgent 
response I need to have, right? Like one of like, that's not allowed. Two, I've got to clean macaroni and cheese off the wall. Three, make sure my wife isn't losing her mind, you know? Uh, there's a lot of responsibilities I got to have in that moment. So there's some urgency. It's okay. But is our whole life like that? We just kind of wake up and we work and we strive and we go and we fulfill all these by needs and we work and we, we put everybody dead and then at 730 you're like, ah, and then you just fall asleep and you do it all over again. What does priority look like for you in the season? The second story I want to read to you is probably the more prevalent one and I'm going to let you into the story of a journey I've been on in the middle of the pandemic. Um, actually, it's the conclusion of the message I preached to you uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and I want to let you into the story of, of, of the, the journey that I've been on. But I want to start with this story because I think this is the most important story where we see Jesus continue to live a life of priority, to live a life of peace and not responding to, responding to the immediate pandemic, the immediate pandemonium, the immediate panic. He's, he's resting. And so here's what we see in Mark chapter four, verse 35, if you have your Bible, it says this. It says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And he left the crowd that were going across a body of water and they took him, them, took him and them in the boats, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was starting to fill with water. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Jesus is asleep. He's sleeping. And they woke him up. Right, well, let me stop there for a second. Sometimes life feels like this, right? Like, things start to happen in your life, things are, are a little chaotic, you have a tragedy, a circumstance, and it's like, you're, you're praying and considering, and it's like, everything's crashing around you, and then you look over, and you just feel like Jesus is sleeping in on your life, and you're like, wait, do you even care? Like, wake up, do you see I'm dying here? Like, this is a real story, that if you don't relate to it, we got to relate to this story, because this is what the disciples are feeling, they're panicked, and they woke him up, and, they, and he says, teacher, do you not even care that we're perishing? And he woke up. And he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then Jesus said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? I read you this story because I've only heard it in my life preached one way. And maybe you've heard it preached other ways, but I've only heard it preached one way, and this is how I've heard this chapter preached in churches. It's that Jesus is in your boat, and whenever the waves are crashing in on your boat, you wake Jesus up, and you say, God, stop the storm, and everything stops, because he has the power to, to stop the storm and the wind and the crashing waves, right? And then the problem with is that it's actually disconnected that narrative to the real stories that we all face. Now, it's not to say that Jesus can't calm the storm, but it begs, to, 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 it begs for us to, to dig into the text a little bit more. Was that the intention? Was he mad at the disciples because they didn't have the faith that he could stop the storm? Or was there something else he was trying to teach them in this? Because here's my, here's my, my, my assumption. Now, I'm, I'm making an assumption here in the text. A lot of people will try to draw, God, what are you saying to us in your story here? But if Jesus is fully man and fully God, I would just, I'm just going to make a bold statement here. I don't think he was caught off guard that the storm was happening, right? right? Like, it's safe to assume that if he postured himself to sleep and he knows what's going on in the world, that he wasn't, like, shocked when the waves and the windstorm started happening. So he postured himself in the position that he wanted others to emulate. 
They're disciples. Follow me, right? That's what discipleship means. Do as I do. Follow me as I do. So he's posturing himself in a sleeping position in the middle of a storm. So when he, when he gets waken up, he does show that he has the power to stop things. But I think the whole point all along was to show the disciples, you're going to face storms in your life. And the more important message here is how you're posturing yourself in the storm. I wonder if this was written differently if he wasn't woken up. Would they've all just been sleeping and posturing themselves in a peace and made it through the storm, trusting that God's in control. Jesus said we're going this way. We trust him. He's in my boat. Let's rest and have peace even though the waves are crashing in. I wonder if he was speaking more to the realities of the stories they were going to face because if you read about the disciples later on in the scriptures, they didn't have storm stop. They were beheaded. They were, they were mocked, they were murdered, they were, they were they, right? He knew that they were gonna have storms to come up. So the point was that, do you trust that I'm in control? So I wonder if the narrative that we've been taught is not necessarily false, but I wonder if it's only one-sided. Does God move and do miracles? Absolutely, yes. But I wonder if the, the, the message here that Jesus was trying to show the disciples was that, I got this, I called us to go here and posture yourself with me. What does it look like to have peace in the midst of a storm. Peace in the midst of chaos. And I'll tell you, if some of you in here have never really bought into the whole God thing, can I tell you, I wanna make a promise to you that God wants to be an anchor for you. The point of Jesus is not so we come to church, the point of Jesus is because is, is that we would have a hope and an anchoring hope in the middle of the lives that we're called to live. And today, if you feel like you're in a, a crashing boat, or you feel like waves are crashing in on you, there's a hope that we can have in Jesus that he's anchored to your soul, that he wants to be your peace, that he wants to be your freedom. I think what I take from this story is that he was more frustrated that the disciples lacked faith, that he was in control of the situation. And I wanna make a statement here that I believe what he was showing the disciples and what I, what I want to say to you is that I believe that we weren't created just to make it through stuff. I think God wants to anchor himself to us so that we would thrive in chaos. Listen, the pandemic did some crazy things for our society. You know, can I get a witness on that? Yeah. Right? Because people panic. And honestly, we panicked. We can't meet a church. What are we going to do? They're going to take away this. Day, right? We panicked. And we showed something that wasn't peace, that wasn't anchored it showed a flat we just need to get everything back to the way it used to be and yet I wonder if the intention all along are the waves going to keep coming I have a feeling it's not going to get any better like I feel like there's just going to be some more societal waves so I wonder if God is teaching us something about carrying the very peace of God in our society I hope and I continue to pray for things in our society praying that God would cease the storm but I have a feeling that God knew that this is the direction we were going all along so what would it look like for a person of God who does follow God to posture themselves in peace, what kind of witness would you be to a world who's panicked? I believe that we were created to thrive in chaos. We were created to be peace and chaos. But it leads me to my story that I wanna share because I think often preachers can preach sermons like this and not have uh, really any story to really give it some, some, some life. And I wanna to share a story about um, this day right here. So this... Um, this is June 16th, 2019. This is my mama, my beautiful Sicilian Italian, uh, wonderful, joyful, happy mama. And uh, that was the day that my son was born. Um, and she was there to witness 
Uh, my son being born was one of the happiest days of my life. It was on Father's Day, so it was a great, best Father's Day present ever. Um, but I want to tell you a story about three months prior to this picture. My mom had had back surgery uh, about three or four months prior to this picture here. And the back surgery, um, she began to, to, her body responded poorly to, to some of the metals that were in her body. And it began to put her, um, her hormones and her thyroids into overdrive. She began to experience, my mom, who if you met her, she's a lot like me. We're both sevens on the Enneagram. The glass is always half full. My wife is annoyed by me all the time because everything's happy. Even when it's bad, it's great. Even when the Spurs lose, they're still the best team in the NBA. So we just, like everything's good, happy all the time. And that's how my mom was. And then to hear my mom start to struggle with anxiety started to break my heart. She would tell me things like she would call me and say that it felt like her body was out of her skin. Like she just... Everybody was coming in on her and, and crashing in, and she started to really battle this anxiety depression. I started to get phone calls from her, and she would answer the call, and she would say, you know, I'm really sorry, but I don't know if I'm going to see you in a couple weeks. She would just say things like that out of the blue. And, and so I knew that, that things were, were not looking good, and so I began to pray like any person of faith would do. God, would you heal my mom? God, would you stop this storm? God, please, please intervene for my mom. Well, this picture, although my mom is smiling, um, I coerced my stepdad into forcing her into a truck to be there because I knew if she wasn't at my son's, at my son's birth that she would regret it later on. So I said, because she always told me she wanted to be there. A week before this, she told me she didn't want to be there because she didn't know if she could be there with her current mental status. So I, I got my stepdad. I said, please, it was 5 a.m. on a Father's Day. I said, I know this is your Father's Day. I know your, your daughters want to celebrate with you, but would you please just get my mom in a truck and drive here? And he did. So my mom got to be there, which was, again, a, a special moment for my family and for us. And about two months go by, and, 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 and just odd. My mom wasn't visiting. My mom was like the crazy grandparent. We all have that one, you know. We love you, crazy grandparents, where you spoil and you show up, and she wasn't there. And I was like, man, what is happening? And I just continued to pray, God, would you heal my mom, heal my mom. And August, the first couple weeks of August of 2019, uh, my sister calls me panicked. My sister's just like, hey, and she's crying, and she says, they can't find mom, they can't find mom. And so I began to pray, and I, I was at a work meeting, and I told all my friends, and I just said, hey, can you pray with me? They can't find my mom. And, and I get a call about an hour later, and my, my sister said, they found her, she, she's in the hospital, rush up here. So I left work, and I drove to Dallas, and my mom had overdosed on pills. And, and they, were, they had saved her just in time, and they were pumping out her stomach, and they were making sure that she would live, and and I remember visiting, I was in the hospital, and I'm, I'm just having this, like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of letting you into my world here. Like, I'm having a crisis of faith here. Like, I'm a pastor, right, of a church. Like, I should just, like, God is good all the time. And I'm struggling, like, with this idea of, God, where are you? I'm waking you up. You're in my boat. Calm my storm, and you're not doing it. Is something missing? Do I lack faith? Is it, like, is it on me? Do you not have the ability? Like, you just start to ask these questions, and, and then I knew when I left there, I was like, man, I just don't know. God, I need you more than ever. Two weeks go by, and, and uh, I get a text from my stepdad in the early morning, and he said, she's missing again. Please be praying. Please be praying. And so we just began to pray and contend. And again, I emailed and texted all my friends, and, and the whole day was miserable. I, I, I don't even want to describe all of it, but I just, I just felt sick to my stomach, just sitting and waiting to wonder if they were going to find her. And I got the text message at 3 o'clock, and it was a text message from my stepdad because he just didn't have the strength to call anybody. And he said, your mama didn't make it. Your mama took her life and 
and I'm so sorry. And, um, and I remember that day, I can, I can remember every single detail about that day, but I remember yelling out to my wife who was in the bathroom and she just wailed in the bathroom and I didn't know who to call. My dad lives here in San Antonio, but I, I didn't even know how to call him. I just called my boss. I just said, hey, can you please come? And she rushed into my house and, and held me, held my face and just said, hey, I, this sucks. You know, I don't even know if she said anything like cliche. She just said, this sucks and, and just held me. And I just cried. And then she said, you're leaving everything. Just go. I booked a hotel. Just leave. Uh, I don't care when you come back. And, uh, but we'll be here for you. And so I just, I drove and I left. And I remember just this beginning the story of my world being in chaos. I, mind you, I just had my son. I just planted a church in Austin, and here I am losing my mama. And uh, I didn't care about much. I didn't care about um, reading my Bible. I didn't care about going to church. I didn't care about all these things that I used to just do to feel better about life and kind of feel like I'm connected to God. It was like all these doing things. I just was like, I just couldn't do it. Didn't make sense anymore. It wasn't connected to my reality. I was just, I was just struggling. And this began the journey of my boat caving in on me, about water splashing, about, about feeling like the water's filling up. And I multiple times trust me, yelling at God, saying, God, wake up. Don't you even care? I thought maybe I convinced myself that if I just had enough faith, Jesus stops it, but it wasn't my reality. I could promise you this: I had all the faith in Jesus. That's all I had. I had nothing else. And the storm didn't stop. Which led me to the question that I ask you today. It led me back to Mark chapter 4. I remember opening my Bible for the first time in a few months and I was reading this story again. And I thought about it differently. And I said, was he really mad at the disciples because they lacked like faith in him? Or was it faith that he was in control? Faith that he, he had it all along. Faith that they could be anchored to the reality of who Jesus was. Was it was it more about that? So I started to ask this question to myself. Was the moral of the story really about a lack of faith in God's ability or more about the anchoring posture of Jesus in the boat? I said this to you actually a year and a half ago if you were here listening to me preach. I actually said to you, grief has a funny way of peeling back the layers of our lives, the layers of urgency. If you've ever gone through a tragedy, you don't care about work. You don't care about anything. You don't even care about bills, nothing. And it has a funny way of peeling everything back, but the danger is that it exposes what's really inside you. And many of us don't ever get challenged with that, but we face a tragedy and you realize what is substantive within the depths of our soul? And is there anything real besides just attending a service? Is there something real that anchors you to hope, that anchors you in a storm, or you, do you just flail and panic because there's nothing substantive? It challenged the very core of that question for me, even as a pastor. Because I didn't care to go to church. I led a church. I didn't care to go to the, the church I led. I didn't care to read the Bible. I didn't want it. I told my team, I don't even want to preach a sermon. I don't want anything. I just, I just need to be for a moment because it was exposing what was deep inside my heart, but it was something that Jesus longed for all along. And that was to connect with his son. And what I told you a year and a half ago, as I said, the danger of the pandemic is that it did all of that just for you as well. The pandemic stole everything that you used to love your freedoms, your thoughts, your social media maybe even. And it's caused us to peel back the layers of who are we really? I've seen so many people my age, you know, I grew up in San Antonio, so many of my friends who don't go to church anymore, and I don't blame them. 
Because they're, they're longing for something deeper. They're longing for something than just something to do. They're long, like it's not, it doesn't meet the reality of their circumstance. But I'll tell you this, when they capture Jesus at the anchor of their soul, something comes alive in them. We're seeing some of those people at our church. What's scary for some of us is that when the urgent layers get peeled from our lives, it leaves us exposed. And many times, maybe sometimes, there's no substance there. But I believe Jesus wants to speak to us about being the anchor of our souls. So this leads me to my counseling journey. Everybody always asks me, hopefully you talk to somebody, had therapy, counseling. Those of you that are like against that, I'll just let you into my journey. Uh, I did counseling and therapy. Uh, I highly recommend it if you're going through something turmoil. Um, pastors most of the time aren't qualified to be a professional therapist for you. We can give you pastoral advice. Go see a counselor and a therapist. Amen? Although Jay's really good at helping me. Uh, but I called this guy named Paul Kuzma, who is a uh, counselor, free counselor for Foursquare Pastors, and I called him. Well, mind you, I had been talking to all my friends, telling them the story. People would ask me all the time about your mom. Um, most people in my life aren't helpful. You find that in tragedy. People try to offer you a little encouraging words, and they're just not helpful. Like, all things work together for good, for those that love God, and you're like, thanks. Um, but I had a lot of people, friends, that would say, are you talking to somebody about this? Are you talking to somebody about this? And I'm like, leave me alone. I'll go talk to somebody about it. So I call Paul Kuzba, and we get on the phone together, and I tell him my whole story. And, and, uh, and he asked me, why are we here? And I was like, what do you mean, why are we here? That seems dumb. And he's like, no, why are you here? Like, what's, what are we trying to accomplish here? And I, I just was like, I'm done faking it. So, like, I'm already exposed and bare and raw. So I just said, I'm here because I feel guilty if I'm not. <laughs> just being real with you. And he said, well, let's talk about that, you know? And we started talking about feeling guilty. I just said, you know, people in my life maybe feel guilty if I'm not talking to somebody about it. Like, I have some problem until I get it solved with somebody I talk to. We, this conversation kind of morphed, a two or three session conversation morphed into him directing me that maybe I should think about having someone like a spiritual director as opposed to a counselor. Somebody who helps me connect with God. Someone who speaks to these like areas of my soul that I don't like people to touch, right? The things that like, these, these questions that I'm questioning where it's really not, I'm not wrestling out. I can, I can come to the, 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 the realization of what my mom may have been dealing with. I can come to the realization that our life is fragile and finite. But, but like there's some like faith questions that I'm really battling. I don't know if I connect with God much anymore. So he said, you should talk. So I talked to this guy. I never met him before. Um, he's in California. His name's David Pinkston, an amazing gentleman. Um, and I still meet with him every month to this day. Um, and I love meeting with him. But I want to tell you the story about when I met with him for the first time. And it changed my perspective on what I'm telling you today. Up to this point, I'm a pastor. So I do a lot of work. A lot of these pastors show up two hours before service. You're doing a lot of things for people. You're helping people. You're, you're, you're healing just like Jesus was. And there's a lot of urgent things that go on when you're pastoring. I got a neighborhood full of people who need help, and so I'm, I'm constantly having people in my home. And there's just a lot of stuff I was doing, and then my time with God looked very regimented. I had a life journal where I checked all the boxes off every week, and I had my Elevation album that I would rock out to, you know, in my car to just try to feel some sense of God's presence, but all of it fell short. And I remember the first time I got on the phone with him, and by the way, he's super awkward, so um, spiritual direction, they don't talk much, so it's not, they don't give you advice, they just help you connect, and... Uh, and I'm a, you know, I'm a pretty like out, out there person. And so um, we were sitting down and I'm, I'm gonna sit. Jacob hates when I do this because he has to move the cameras, but tough luck. And uh, I was sitting on my deck, my back deck in my house in Austin. I have a back deck and, 
And I, I was lounging. I was sitting up on the thing just like this, and I was chilling. And it's middle of the pandemic, mind you, so I have my FaceTime, right? So I'm meeting, doing this whole session FaceTime, which is so odd to be in counseling over FaceTime. Anybody, like, just can't stand digital stuff anymore? It's just, oh, my goodness. So anyway, I'm meeting with this person uh, all live, and I'm kicking back. And he goes, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm, I'm kicking back. I'm like, what, what do you got to say, you know? And he's like, this isn't about me. It's about you. And he said, he said, I'm asking you a question. How are you connecting with God lately? And I gave him the typical pastor answer, right? I'm like, oh, you know, I've been, been like kind of thumbing through. I didn't want to say read my Bible because I really wasn't. But I was like, I'm thumbing through things, you know, really sensing God and trying to see the good in things. My typical seven on the Enneagram, which I'm overly positive about everything. I was just trying to give him that answer. And he said, are you really? And I was like, no. And he said, I want you to do something for a minute. He said, I want you to put your feet on the ground. And I was like, okay, that seems odd. So I put my feet on the ground. He said, I want you to just stand and for a minute, and I want you to just sit in this moment with your feet on the ground, connected to creation, connected to God, and I want you to just be for a moment. I don't want you to do anything. I don't want you to pray, talk, just be, like PJ, just be PJ, and sit there, and I want you to sense how God may be connecting with you, and he just sat on the phone for five minutes, awkwardly staring at me while I did this thing, so I put the phone down. I was like, that's so weird. But for the first time in my life, I actually felt the presence of God without doing anything. Up to this point, I mean, like, I've been in lots of church services like this where I'm like, oh, Lord, you're so good. That song was amazing. And then I've been in plenty of services where they mess up the chord, and you're like, oh, you ruined the spirit for me on that one next week, right? (laughs) Predicated on performance, yeah? Or like, man, Pastor Ryan preached a doozy. And then the next week, it's like, oh, he's a little off. We'll get to catch him next week. But I began to connect with God without doing anything. Who would have known? I started to feel God, and I'm I'm genuinely meaning this. I started to feel the very peace of God overwhelm me. Trust me, I had plenty of cry sessions. There was a couple times where he he told me, he said, you should consider journaling. And I was like, I hate journaling. He said, journal. And so I, I, I would write on there. I would just write, like, he just said, write anything you feel. And I was like, people in my life make me feel guilty. And then I would just, that'd be it, period. Love you, Jesus, you know? And... But I started to just connect with God, just discovering more of who I was. All the while, my storm is raging, right? Every holiday now has different meaning. Every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, every birthday, every moment that your mom used to be there isn't there. So the storm didn't stop. It didn't just magically go away. I didn't just magically get cured. None of the Instagram photos for my Christian friends that I follow helped me. It was just the presence of Jesus and his peace that settled my soul. And I'm talking about truly settled my soul. Here's the crazy part. Do you know that God can settle your soul and you still don't have answers? And that's okay. Jesus wasn't trying to give them answers. He was trying to be an anchor for them. I think that if they would have laid there and slept, they would have experienced the anchoring presence of Jesus, and I still think the boat would have filled up with water. But they would have made it to the other side. And so it leads me to why I said to you earlier, I believe that we were created to thrive in chaos. As I began to connect more with God, the layers were, being, were, were exposing me. I had my seven tendencies, right? Again, when I say that, I mean like everything's positive, you know, oh yeah, God will just work it out. I used to say all that. And then it's like, you can't positive spin, your mom dying. So I didn't have that as a blanket anymore. So I started to remove these things, right? These insecurities where I, w- I would compensate for my lack of clarity in my life. And so before, if I didn't have the answer to something, I'd have some kind of answer that would kind of engulf the non-answers that I don't have. 
And I stopped doing that. I just like, I'm okay with not having the answers. I started to read my Bible with a different lens because now I knew why I was reading the Bible. I didn't care if I checked off my seven lists this week and I, you know, I'm trying to keep up with Jay and his like regimen. I'm like, I don't care if the UVerse app says I'm behind. I stopped doing that. I just started reading because I wanted to connect with my creator. I started going to church, right? Obviously I lead one, so I probably should go. I started going to church with a different lens. I'm like, I'm not here to just get something. I'm here to connect and have communion with God. What's amazing, when you come to this church and you're not looking to receive from people, but you're just looking to commune with God, it doesn't matter how well the worship set went. It doesn't matter how amazing or not amazing the pastor was. What's amazing is you're coming because I need to find communion with God because I need a connection with the Savior. I started feeling that. I feel like I didn't need to do anything anymore. I don't have to, like, strive. I can just rest in his peace, all the while, my storm raging on. I started saying things like this, and I mean this. I used to always say, people would say, how are you? How are you doing since your mom passed? And I'm like, oh, I'm okay, you know. It's like, it's good, it's hard, but it's good, I'll be fine, you know. That's how I used to respond, and I'm like, it's, man, it sucks. And I'm okay not being okay. And they're like, all right. Most people don't want to respond to that because they like the good answer. And, but I was good with that. I'm good with just like, it's gonna hurt for a while. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mark me for a while. And I'm, it's going to feel a little bit like ways, but I'm settled. I have peace. I started letting go, feeling pressure to fulfill everyone else's need. This is a strange one, but um, because it was my mom, my mom uh, was the most proud of me to plant a church. And when she was gone, what was strange is all the bosses in my life at the time were women. Um, and and I, I found this out in counseling that I had looked to them. And every time they would send me like a criticizing like email, like not a bad one, but just like, hey, next time you somebody else into because you love coping. And then finally it gets peeled back and they're, and they're desperate for something real. We need healing. You need healing. I need healing. So many followers of Jesus are riding the coattails of good circumstances or good fortune or worse, they're just coping with the pain and looking pretty. We need healing. We need to find our peace in God. That experience is what speaks loudest to those around us. Some of us cope with busyness, with work, with positivity, with you name it. Let's not chase the setting sun, but let's deal with it. Let's let God be the light to our souls. The second reason I share this with you is because I hope this isn't news to you, but you're God's plan A for the world. He left the world and then left the church, the movement of God with us, not church buildings. He didn't like establish six buildings. It was like the... Now you go establish more of these. It was like he met with a bunch of people and they got wrecked because they, faced, they, they actually felt the very presence of God and then he sent them all home. And guess what? The, 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 I love Pastor Ryan. His goal here is not for you to, to just build big churches. His goal is to send you home, that you would go be Jesus where you live, where you learn, where you work, where you play. And listen, you bring the very peace of God to our community when we become healed, when you receive God's healing, even if it's small, when you face, you start to feel the very presence of God, when you find his peace in the chaos, when we become healed, we become vessels of healing, hope, and peace where we live, work, learn, work, and play. I had my friend tell me this, but I put it in a saying to you. He said, people don't need a cute Bible verse while they're panicking in a storm. They need an anchor, and the anchor is Jesus. And if we carry the peace, the very anchor of Jesus as presence in us, and that's what it should look like when we hop in other people's boats. So I wanna pray for you and pray for us 
And there's three maybe stages or, or areas of my message that maybe you connected with that I want to pray for you over. But before I do, I want to offer you a resource. Um, if, you, if you feel like you're kind of a hurried person, you really struggle with priority, there is a book that's really phenomenal. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a pastor in Portland named John Mark Comer. Um, and it is a fascinating book talking about the rhythms of hurry um, that our culture is slave to and how do we slow down and get a sense of what's happening in our lives. That's a free one. Uh, Jay may charge for that later, but I, it's free for me. So uh, you can have that point. But here's my prayer to you. And, and I, some of you in this room need, need to set new priorities. Maybe you felt really urgent, like even coming to church today felt like you just barely made it out the door and everything in your life feels urgent right now. And I just feel the Lord saying, slow down. Prioritize my presence. Maybe you need a back deck moment like I had where you just put your feet on the ground and say, everything's not crashing down. I'm okay. And the presence of God meets you in those moments. Some of you in this room, I I realize that me sharing my grief story, some of you are in the middle of it. You're in the middle of your grief. You're in the middle of your pain. You're in the middle of your sorrow. And I believe God wants to meet you in your boat. Maybe you felt like I did and you're kind of been wake, trying to wake him up and I think he just wants to remind you he's there and he's anchored to you and wants to speak to the depths of your soul. And the third group is maybe people in this room that for the first time maybe, you wanna be empowered to go be peace to the world. Maybe you haven't seen that as a mandate on your life. You haven't seen that as something that you, were, that you could carry. Maybe you feel like your circumstances have devalued your weight in the kingdom and I just wanna say that God maybe is telling you today to just go and be who you are to the world and carry his presence with you, to be empowered to reach the world. So Jesus, I pray today.